heart this morning that I announced that today will be my last sermon at Rivers of Joy this year. <laughs> um, some of you will know I will be traveling to go visit my family. haven't seen them for many, 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 many years. It's been nine years since we were all together, and God has provided a way for us to go and be together for Christmas. So since then, eight grandchildren have been born. The cousins are going to meet each other. It's going to be good fun. So... So you won't see me for the next month. Lynette will still be here for two more weeks, and then she'll join us after school closes. So yeah, fantastic. Deuteronomy 6. And I'm going to read from verse... This one, sorry. Sorry, I had it, and then I lost it. Okay, Deuteronomy 6, verse 7 onwards, it says, Listen, Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You must love the Lord with all your mind, your whole being, and all your strength. These words I'm commanding you today must be kept in mind. And you must teach them to your children and speak speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road, as you lie down, and as you get up. You should tie them as a reminder on your forearm and fasten them as symbols on your forehead. Inscribe them on the door frames of your houses and gates. Then when the Lord your God brings you to the land he promised your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large, fine cities you did not build, houses filled with choice things you did not accumulate, hewn out cisterns you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, and eat your fill, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, the place of slavery. You must revere the Lord your God, serve him, and take oaths only using his name. You must not go after other gods, those of the surrounding peoples. For the Lord your God who is present among you is a jealous God, and his anger will erupt against you and remove you from the land. You must not put the Lord your God to the test as he did in Massa. Keep his commandments very carefully, as well as his stipulations and statutes he commanded you to observe. Do whatever is proper and good before the Lord, so it may go well with you, and that you may enter and occupy the good land that he has promised your ancestors, and that you may drive out all your enemies, just as the Lord said. When your children ask you later on, what are the stipulations, statutes, and ordinances that the Lord our God commanded you, you must say to them, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt in a powerful way. And he brought signs and great devastating wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh and his whole family before our very eyes. He delivered us from there so that he could give us the land he had promised our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these statutes and to revere him, so that it may always go well for us and he may preserve us as he is to this day. We will be innocent if we carefully keep all these commandments before the Lord our God, just as he demands. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you this morning that we can look at your word and we can study it and we can look at it through the lens of what you have done for us on the cross. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open this morning and fertile soil, that this word and the seed that you have given will take root and bear much fruit within our lives. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give me the words to say. Father, I pray, Lord, just for grace and for mercy for each one of us. And I pray, Lord, that you be honored and glorified through what we do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I think to start off with, we see it says, Listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. You must love the Lord your God with your whole mind, your whole being, and your whole strength. And what we see is Jesus goes on in Matthew 22 Verse 34 to 40, and he brings this up again, because the Pharisees come to him and ask him, and they say, sorry, when the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they assembled together, and one of them, an expert in religious law, asked him a question to test him. He said, teacher, what commandment is in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. And so this portion of Scripture in Deuteronomy comes after Moses has received the, the Ten Commandments and his tablets. He's come down the mountain. And there's this declaration of what Israel ought to do. At this moment, they were wandering through the desert. Um, not much was going on, but they had been delivered from Egypt. And then it goes on in verse 13, and this is what I want to focus on this morning. And it says, you must revere the Lord your God, serve him, and take oaths using only his name. And this really stuck out to me because as a church, we've been looking at Acts and we spent some time on Acts 2 verse 42 onwards. And one of the things that it says is after they had devoted themselves to preaching and teaching and fellowship and communion and to prayer, that there was this reverential awe that fell upon them. This reverential awe is what we call the fear of God. And I'll come back to that in a little bit. But it's so important that we understand that we are to revere God. We are to honor God in everything at all times in our lives. So the question, if you're like me, my first response is, okay, but what is honor? What does that look like? And so honor, the baseline definition means to esteem and to treat another with respect because of who they are or what they have done. And so this places a sense of value, a sense of price, and a sense of quality on that person. The biblical emphasis on honoring others has everything to do with the biblical command to honor God. I'm going to say that again. The definition is to esteem and treat another with respect because of who they are, or what they have done. In the case of God, for who he is and what he has done. And the emphasis on honoring others stems from this thing of honoring God. And this is very important for us to remember. And so we are to revere God. In Revelation 4 verse 11 it says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Since you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and are created. In Proverbs 1 verse 7, it says, Fearing the Lord is the beginning of moral knowledge or wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of understanding. When we fear God, we begin to understand things spiritually. And if we despise these things, we are considered fools. I don't know about you, but I would not like to be in that category for the rest of my life. But this fear of the Lord or honoring God, what is that? See, the fear of the Lord in the scripture in Proverbs says that God is the object of fear. And it has threefold meanings. The first one is this dread or terror. This is the fear that most of us understand. When you say that I've got a fear of spiders, there's a dread and a terror for spiders. If anyone's wondering, Lynette is the spider killer in my house, not me, because I have a phobia, a literal one. No matter how small or how big, it must die. <laughs> okay, she catches them, which is even worse, and then she releases them in the wild. <laughs> but we understand this fear or phobia as an extreme dread or terror. <laughs> Let me explain, because I feel like I need to justify my fear now. <laughs> when I was younger, I think I was six years old, we have in South Africa what you call rain spiders. Um, <laughs> they're, just, they, they're completely harmless, but they've got this coin-sized body, but these legs the size of gladiators. Like, they're just huge. They literally take up half the wall. They're really big. They're really scary. But I was, that wasn't what was... <laughs> Shit jokes. They're like that big. I'm sure of it, hey, like that big, hey, yeah. <laughs> um, but then we also have what's called the wolf spider, and I don't know if you know what that is. Now, those are venomous, and they are scary, but they look very similar. They're just a little bit more hairy, which is quite scary as well. So when I was six, there was one on the wall in my bedroom, and my mom's like, oh, it's just a rain spider. And I was like, no, it's not. I was scared, and I would refuse to go to bed. Eventually, my brother came with a shoe, and he smashed it on the wall, and I remember as clear as day, just this blue liquid running down the wall. And since that day, all spiders are dead spiders. Like, 
thank you, Jesus, for spiders that take the mosquitoes and the flies, but I want nothing to do with them. That's my fear, sorry. Just, that's for free. But oftentimes we understand fear as being this thing of dreading or being terrorized by something. Some of us fear men because they have terrified us and that we are afraid of them. We have a dread towards them, and we understand that. But this is not what it's talking about here in the scripture. There are other scriptures that talk about this kind of fear, but it's not this. The second meaning is to stand in awe. And this is what we looked at this morning. And then the third one is to revere and to respect. With the Lord as the object, it captures the polar opposite of a shrinking back in fear and draws us into a close awe and adoration for God. And that is the fear that we talk about when we talk about the fear of the Lord. It is a, it's incredible respect and honor and revering of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That we do not cower away in fear of that he might smite us or send lightning to take us out. But we come to him, we run to him because of who he is and what he has done for us. And this is so important. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is expressed in reverential submission to his will. And this is a characteristic of true worship. The fear of the Lord is a foundation for wisdom and the discipline leading to wisdom. It is expressed in a hatred of evil and an avoidance of sin and so results in a prolonged life. So when we fully understand what it means to fear God, that we live in this reverential awe of who he is, our lives have to be transformed. So my challenge to you this morning is if you have not noticed transformation in your life, are you really walking in the reverential awe and honor and fear of God daily? Because if you are, your life will and has to change. And so the question to answer is, how do we do this? How do we walk in this reverential awe of God? How do we walk in the fear of God? And the answer we find in Deuteronomy, it says, you must revere the Lord your God, serve him. Take oaths only using his name. Do not go after other gods because he is a jealous God. It says do not put him to the test. It says keep his commandments and his statutes. It says do what is proper and good. And there's a promise that comes with that. It says it will go well with you and you'll enter the promised land. And you'll say to me, but Ray, that's Old Testament. It must be different now, surely. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. And we can see this in Philippians 4, verse, sorry, in Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, and what is the good and acceptable and perfect in his eyes. And so what we see is that there's this thing of we have to be transformed. And this only happens when we walk in reverential awe of God. We see it in Acts 2 where it says that they devoted themselves to preaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And when this happened, reverential awe fell upon them. And then there were wonders and signs, and then there was generosity. And so often we want the wonders and the signs and the generosities, but we're not willing to get to this place of reverential awe of God. So often we hear preachers who say, come to Jesus and everything will be okay. But you come to Jesus and suddenly you don't have money and you're wondering why, but you're not actually pressing into the presence of God. You're not doing the things that he's told us to do. <clears throat> and so the first thing is to serve him. How do we serve him? We serve him through worship, but we serve him through serving others. And this is very important. Um, in Romans, no, it's wrong, not Romans 12, but there's a scripture, sorry, I've put the wrong one here, but it says that you must outdo one another in showing honor, in serving one another. Almost like a competition. <laughs> 
But the impact that happens when we do this is that we show our love for God. Where it says that love the Lord your God, love your neighbors, you love yourself. When we love our neighbors, we love ourselves, we are honoring God. We are serving Him. It says, do not go after other gods. And this is where we have to take an assessment of our lives and say, okay, God, what are the things that I'm placing in front of you? For parents, are you placing your children in front of God? For singles, are you placing your want to get married above God? For those that are striving to be successful, are you placing that success and that fame and that money above the call of God in your life? One of the saddest things for me is to see people who are so committed to work and success that they completely miss what God has called them to do in this, on this earth. It's the most heartbreaking thing for me to see people who use the excuses of this world and other things that become idols in our lives instead of pursuing the things of God. Because it says in Matthew 6.33 that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added to you. So if you're striving after success and that thing is your focus, you're not seeking him first. If you're so focused on your retirement plan and what God has called you and like that you completely forget what God has called you to do, you're not seeking him first. But when you seek him first, these things will be added to you. There's nothing more beautiful than hearing testimonies of people who are just like, you know, God, I'd like that promotion at work, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to pray and trust that you will do it. I'm going to seek you first. And then you hear the stories of how they get promoted one after the other. I'm going to share a testimony on Nikki's behalf. So Nikki arrived here, technically got fired after <laughs> within her first three months because they told her she wasn't a good fit. And we walked with Nikki and we saw how she trusted God. And we look eight years later, it's eight years now? Eight years later, how this is the second school that she's the headmistress of. And how God has just promoted her, not by her own striving, her own desires, or all these things, but because God has entrusted her with something and she's looked to him and he has promoted her. And that's the beauty of keeping our eyes on God, of honoring him, of serving him first, of remembering what he has done. The second thing it says, do not test him. The only time in the Bible where it says we're allowed to test God is in Malachi where it talks about tithes and offerings. It's the only time. But outside of that, it says do not test him. Do not push the boundaries. As a parent, my kids push the boundaries all the time. And so when I say to them, don't test me, they know exactly what I mean. They know if I say don't test me, do not go and take a second one of the thing I told you to not do or take. Or do not go and watch this TV show because I've told you you're not allowed to. And when they do, there's a consequence to that. And so often we get the consequence because we've tested God and we wonder why we're getting in trouble. It's like, what did I do? My kid's favorite line, but Ethan did it first. <laughs> and so there's this thing of just like, you know what, we don't test God. We don't push the boundaries. Got asked the question the other day in a conversation, well, if as a Christian we're allowed to have alcohol, how much are we allowed to have? Or why test the boundary? Why not just be responsible? The reason why the Bible says don't get drunk on wine is because when you're drunk, you're not a witness and testimony to Christ. You can have no control over your body. The second thing, it says keep his commandments. Well, not second thing, it's in here. It says keep his commandments. I saw this video... I don't have my physical Bible yet, but this guy holds up a Bible. He says, who of you, and you can answer this question, who of you have ever read the Bible cover to cover? Okay, for those of you that haven't, don't feel guilty yet. <laughs> but my encouragement to you is to take the time to read your Bible cover to cover. And when I watched this video, I was stirred. So my challenge, and I'm going to put this on the WhatsApp group, so if you're not part of it, you can join there's a QR code outside you can join our WhatsApp group, is next year, let's read the Bible together, from cover to cover. We will find a plan on your version or something, and we'll post daily. And my challenge to you is, let's do this and see what God can do. And this comes out of a conversation I had with one of my clients a few years ago, where he said to me, you know what my issue is with you Christians, is you don't read your Bible. 
It's like our children get taught from three years old about the Quran. They know it's inside and out by the time they're eight years old, and for the rest of their life, they study the Quran. That's just how it is. But it says, you Christians, you tell nice little stories, and then you forget about them, and then you don't read your Bible. I couldn't tell him he was wrong, because it's the truth. So, so the question is, if you don't read your Bible, how will you know what his commandments are? If you're not reading your Bible, how will you know what is proper and good to do? If you're not reading your Bible, how will you know what Jesus told us to do and how to live and how to love? Because if we're not reading our Bible, we cannot fulfill the great commission of Matthew 28, where it says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, teaching them the things I've taught you. How will you know what he's taught you if if you're not reading the Bible? If you're waiting for me to tell you on a Friday morning what Jesus has told you, you're going to wait a long time because I'll tell you, but it's going to take a few years to get through all of that. But you can read it within a week and know it and see it. And so my challenge to you this morning, to be honored God by keeping his commandments, we know what his commandments are by reading his word, by taking time to honor him daily in taking time out to read his commandments, to read what Jesus said, to read the the scriptures and be like, okay, this is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus has taught us. And the beauty of this is that there's a promise that comes with that. There's a promise that says it will go well with you. There's a promise that you will enter the promised land. This was not just a promise that stood for a moment. This is a promise that stands for eternity. When we do what God has told us to do, it will go well with us. But our responsibility is to find ourselves at the foot of the cross first. Our responsibility is to find ourselves in the word of God first. We cannot expect it to go well if we're not sitting at the table. In Psalms 23, it says, I prepared a feast for us in the midst of our enemies. From that table, it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all my life. It doesn't say, mercy and goodness will follow me all days of my life, and then I come to the table. No, no, it says, at the table, and then it says, he anoints my head with oil, he marks us for himself, and then goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our lives. Hello. (laughs) And so we have to be found at the table of Jesus. Not anywhere else. Netflix can wait. One of the things I tell my clients, for those of you who don't know, I'm a physical therapist, is I say to them, you have low back pain. These are the exercises you need to do, consistency and perseverance, but you have to do it for the rest of your life. And the response is normally threefold. Not a chance. Do I really have to? But what if I feel good after a month? Those are the three responses. It's never, yes, Ray, I'll do what you say. It's very frustrating. <laughs> but it's fine. They come back and give me more money. Um, <laughs> it's the same with our walk with Christ. It's perseverance and endurance. It's consistency. It's constantly coming back to Christ, coming back to the foot of the cross, coming back to the word, coming back to what Jesus says, honoring him in the way that we live, in the way that we work, in the way that we love people, in the way that we worship him. Laying aside all excuses. My clients come up with the most beautiful excuses to why they could not do 20 minutes of exercise. But I can tell you now I've heard worse excuses to why people can't come and spend five minutes to pray. Or five minutes to read the word of God. I'm sorry, but I'm tired is not an excuse. Saying I don't have time, but then you're watching two hours of Netflix at night is not an excuse. And this might sound like harsh criticism, but it's the truth. If you've got time to watch TV, to cook an extravagant meal that takes more than an hour to cook, (laughs) no, I'm just teasing, please do that, that's very important, eating is very good, but you've got to make time to honor God in his presence with coming to seek him. It's part of what we are called to do, because if we do not do that, we cannot walk into the fullness of what he's called us to be. It is vital, it is so important. But what I love about this portion in Deuteronomy is that it's never isolated. This was a word to the entire community. And so this is a word for us today as a community. Because when we're in community, there's accountability and there's discipleship that happens. But we can't disciple people if we don't, don't know the word. 
We cannot disciple people if we are not being discipled ourselves by the word of God. This is very important. But in community, someone told me a story yesterday of how their husband was being a bit grumpy and moody. And the question was, well, when last did you read your Bible? And the answer was, I can't remember. When he read read his Bible and started praying, attitude changed. And so let's hold each other accountable. When you see someone say, like acting out of character or getting a bit grumpy or maybe dropping the F-bomb a bit too many times, just be like, so when last did you spend time with Jesus? When was the last time that you actually prayed and looked to his face? When was it? And don't be offended when someone asks you. Take it on the chin and do what you need to do. We cannot, be a, cannot breed a culture or tolerate a culture of people getting easily offended, especially when it comes to the things of Christ. We cannot. If you're going to get offended, the best advice I've been given with this is that you have 30 seconds to get over it. Get offended, think about it, ask God what it is that you need to learn, and then forgive and walk away. But learn from what is given to you. It's very important. We cannot be offended and we cannot be easily offended. It doesn't help anyone. Sorry, I digress. So what is the impact of honoring God? So we've seen how we can do this, but what is the impact? Number one, our thoughts change. The way we think and process things change. In Philippians 4, verse 8 to 9, this is after the famous scripture, it says, In everything in prayer and supplication make a request known to God, and the God of all peace will give you peace, supernatural peace beyond understanding. But then it says in verse 8 and 9, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And what you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So when we honor God, we come to the foot of the cross, and we feast at his table, our thoughts will change. The way we think changes. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, and I believe you all have, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about the things above, not the things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is quite a challenge because we are bombarded with news and social media 24-7. It does not stop. But yeah, we've got clear command that says, think about the things above. As Christians, we are called to think with eternity in mind. And so we might see the things on this earth, but we cannot allow those things to burden us and to weigh us down and to hold us back because we've got to change our minds back onto the things of God. We saw in Romans 12 where it says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You think about the things above. You meditate on God's word. You think about what is true and praiseworthy and honest and beautiful and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. That's how you renew your mind. When we say something that might be a little bit controversial and I'm open to coffee and conversation is that I will not pray for revival again. I will pray for transformation. I will pray that our hearts and our minds will be transformed because if our lives and our hearts are transformed and we understand this thing of the fear of God, we won't need revival. We won't need it. If every Christian took responsibility for their walk with Christ and kept their eyes on him and stayed in awe of him and devoted themselves to him, we wouldn't need revival. Revival is a concept that came about, I believe, in the 1800s. It's not in the Bible. There's hints of it when they were in the upper room. But when they were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell, what happened? Their lives were transformed. And it didn't stop because they got bored. It carried on. And it carried on. And we are here today because of what happened in the upper room. A transformation happened in the lives of the 120 people there. And then 3,000 that were saved. And then they devoted themselves to God. And look where we are today. Because of a transformed life. And we can walk in that today. And the only reason we aren't transformed and living in transformation is because we take our eyes off God. Because we do not honor him with everything in us. In Psalm 19... One of my favorite Psalms, from verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, 
It preserves one's life. The rules set down by the Lord are reliable and impart wisdom to the inexperienced. The Lord's precepts are fair and make one joyful. The Lord's commands are pure and give insight for life. The commands to fear the Lord are right and endure forever. The judgments given by the Lord are trustworthy and absolutely just. They are of greater value than gold, than even great amount of pure gold. They bring greater delight than honey, and even the sweetest honey from the honeycomb. Yes, your servant finds moral guidance there. Those who obey them receive a rich reward. Who can know all his errors? Please do not punish me for the sins I am unaware of. Moreover, keep me from committing flagrant, flagrant sins. Do not allow such sins to control me. Then I will be blameless and the innocent of blatant rebellion. May my words and my thoughts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, sheltering rock and my redeemer. I think so often when we think of the law, we think of legalism and a set of rules. I know I went through a stage from 23 to 25 where I went through a bit of a rebellious speak, speak, wow, rebellious streak in my life where I was just like, Lord, don't care about what you've said. I'm tired of obeying the things that you've told me to do. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I did. But I realized so quickly when I came back to the foot of the cross that Jesus put those things in place to protect us. When it says do not be sexually immoral, it's not there to say you can't have fun. It's there to protect you. For women, it's there to protect you from emotional damage, from physical damage. From the shame of having to reveal that to your future husband or spouse, for men as well. It's there to protect you. It's not there to limit what you can do. When it says do not get drunk on wine, as I said earlier, it's not there to to squash your fun. It's it's there because when you're drunk, you're not a witness to Christ. You have no control over your body. You make decisions. Some people get angry. Some people start getting abusive. So do not do it. Do not test those boundaries. When the Bible says that we mustn't do certain things, it's not there to limit us, it's there to protect us. And that is what Jesus has come. He's come to bring freedom, not restriction. But it's there to protect us. So yes, we can do what we want. And as I mentioned, where we've got this hyper grace or this licentiousness, we can do whatever we want because there is grace. But when we understand and are devoted to Christ, we understand that the grace is there for us to be responsible Because he's come to protect us. He's come to love on us. He's come to put us in a place where we can walk in the fullness of his love without the consequence of silly decisions. If we obey his commands. The second thing that happens when we honor God is our words change. And this is in line with our thoughts. In Philippians 2 verse 12 to 16 it says, So then, my dear friends... Just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God without blemish, though you live in a crooked and perverse society, in which you shine as lights in the world. By holding on to the word of life, so that you, on that day of Christ I will have a reason to boast that I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. I think it was uh, Charles Spurgeon that says, The biggest sin of Christians today is complaining. Because you cannot complain and praise God at the same time. When you're complaining, the praise for God and the honor for God leaves your body. Because you're focusing on the the problem. You're focusing on the thing that you're not happy about. Your focus is not on Christ, it's on the problem. And so it says that do everything without grumbling or arguing. I was a kid once, got two siblings, and we used to grumble and argue all the time about whose turn it was to wash dishes, who had to pack away the laundry, who had to do this thing, who did that thing. And we constantly used to fight and my mom used to use the scripture on us all the time. She's like, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And then she'd throw the other one and says, do everything as if you're doing it unto the Lord. I mean, there's no guilt like Bible guilt from your mother. 
But it, it's a truth. It's a truth. It says, do not do anything with grumbling and arguing. And it says, do this so that you may remain blameless and pure. When our thoughts are brought into alignment with the word of God, the way we speak will change. Instead of talking about our problems, we say, like, God, you can do this. Instead of focusing about on the lady at work who's making life miserable, we say, God, would you bring your life? Our prayers and our thoughts and the things that we say changes. It's so important. When we start to honor God in our speech, and we honor God in our thoughts. And then lastly, with our thoughts and our words, our actions will change too. There will be an impact in that way. And I'm just going to read a few brief scriptures. It says in 1 Peter 2 verse 17, in our actions we need to honor people and we need to honor our leaders. And so in this country where we live, we honor our leaders, but we honor the people here too. In 1 Timothy 5 verse 3, it tells us to honor widows. And so we look after them. We treat them with respect and honor and dignity. In 1 Timothy 5 verse 17, it says we need to honor our church leaders. And so we pray for them. We honor them. We look after them. We are generous towards them. I'm not talking about just me. I'm talking about church leaders in general. Would be nice though. <laughs> no teasing. But there's this thing of honoring your church leaders. It's very important. You cannot follow someone that you dishonor. You cannot follow someone that you're slandering or gossiping about. And this is very important. In Hebrews 13 verse 4, it says we need to honor marriage. And this is very important, that we honor marriages. Husbands and wife, honor your marriage. Those around you, honor the marriage of your friends and your family. Honor that. When there are complaints and troubles, do not talk against that marriage, but honor it. Speak life. Speak the will of God into other people's marriages. Speak the love and the life of God into other people's marriages. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 to 4, it says, We are to honor our bodies. And it talks about how we need to abstain from sexual immorality and other practices. I'm going to take it one step further because it's my job to do this. Is We need to look after what we put in our bodies by what we put in our bodies. Rodney Howard Brown, a few years ago, prayed for someone in this church that was quite overweight and had diabetes and high blood pressure. And I remember he looked at him and says, I will pray for your healing. But if you do not change and honor God in your body, it's going to come back. By not looking after your body, by not being physically active, by eating all the junk that's available around us, you're not honoring God by looking after your body. One of the, the things that gripped my heart about five years ago, um, if you've been around for more than that, you'd know that I was quite overweight. I got depressed. I was unhappy. Ate all the food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks in between. And I was just generally unhealthy. And I remember reading the word one day in Timothy where it says, do not only do physical activity, but look after yourself spiritually. And this thing, because this is what I studied physical therapy, was if I'm not looking after my body today, how can God use me in 25 years when I can't walk, when I have back pain that I can't travel, if he's called me to go and preach the gospel? If I'm not looking after my body, how can I expect God to honor me in this way? So often, we spoke yesterday, um, I spoke to a guy, William Lau. He came and did a healing conference here a few years ago. And after the whole thing, I just said to him, like, William, why is it that we don't see any examples of Jesus healing people's knees, shoulders, and backs in the Bible? And he looked at me deadpan. He's like, it's probably because they looked after themselves. And I was just like, you? <laughs> but I think so often we want God to heal our knee, but we're not doing the thing that we were tasked to do to look after our body in a way that is important. That's a side note. All right. And so this is, how, this is the impact of what honoring God looks like. Our thoughts change, our words change, our actions change. Which leads me to the last point is... Coming back to the how, part of how we honor God is found in that last portion in Deuteronomy 6, and we'll read again a bit later, where we need to remember. And this is what I said this morning after worship, is we need to remember what God has done. That's part of how we honor God. It says, 
in verse 20. When your children ask you later on, what are the stipulations, statutes, and ordinances of the Lord our God that he commanded us? You must say to them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt in a powerful way. And he brought signs and great devastating wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh, and on his whole family before our very eyes. He delivered us from there so he could give us the land he had promised our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these statutes and to revere him so that it may always go well for us and he may preserve us as he has to this day. We will be innocent if we keep, carefully keep all these commandments before the Lord our God just as he demands. And I love this thing where it says, when your children ask you, you must tell them. I don't know if you know the story of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament. Constantly God said, if you obey my commands and keep my statutes, this will happen. There's a list of promises. And Israel, like many of us today, would devote themselves to God and then after a few years lose momentum. And then God would be like, if you keep my commands, and there was this turning back that would happen and then they would lose momentum. And as a king came in, he would come in with fire and be like, no, we're going to do this right. And the whole nation would turn to God, and then they would lose momentum because they took their eyes off of him. And this happened over and over. And part of that, and the reason for that, is that they did not remember what Christ had done for them. So easily they forgot when things were going well that they became proud, proudful in their ability to look after themselves, that they made money, that they were a prosperous nation. And so often we forget what Jesus has done because we take comfort in our own ability and in our own things. Instead of looking to Christ and saying, God, this is what you did, we look to our own ability to make money, our own ability to keep our jobs, our own ability to pay our rent, our own ability to do these things where we forget what Christ has done. And we've got to keep coming back to the foot of the cross. This thing about how Israel was delivered from Egypt is exactly the gospel message that we have through Jesus. Where it says we were slaves. Where it says they were slaves to Egypt. We were slaves to sin. Before we knew Jesus, we were slaves to sin. But it says the Lord brought us out of Egypt in a powerful way. The Lord rescued us through Jesus in a powerful way by his death on the cross. Where it says that... God brought great signs and devastating wonders on Egypt and Pharaoh and the whole family before our very eyes. We saw that Jesus took the keys of death and brought life. He brought devastating devastation to hell and to Satan, to the enemy. And he brought us life. And he delivered us from there so we, he could give us the land he had promised our ancestors. He has delivered us. He has given us forgiveness. And he has brought us to a place of eternal life. The promised land, the true promised land. The Lord commanded us to obey all these things and to revere him. And so we have been commanded to obey these things and to revere him, to honor him, to respect him, to not forget what he has done. And if we do this, it will go well with us. We cannot only look at the hand of God and what he can give us. We cannot abuse in that way. If my, if my kids come to me and only ever want money and sweets and chocolates and playstations and this thing and that thing, I'm going to start feeling very inadequate as a father when they only look to what I can give them and not to the love that I, can have, that I have for them. And it's sometimes we act like those spoiled brats. We're like, God, I want this, I want that. You can give me this, you can do this, but we don't look to him and we don't seek him. We put our earthly wants and comforts before the foot of the cross. Saying, God, if you do this, then I will devote myself. If you do this, then I will change this thing. If you do this for me, then I will go minister the gospel. No. Foot of the cross comes first. Finding ourselves at the feasting table of Jesus comes first. Devoting ourselves to Jesus comes first. Seeking him comes first first, then all these other things will be added to you. And that's the promise we have, that it will go well with us. And so just like the Israelites were reminded in Deuteronomy 
chapter 6, probably in verse chapter 8, probably in chapter 11, and in this Chronicles and that Kings and this things to obey the commands of Jesus, to remember what he had done for them. We see in Luke 22 when Jesus is at the dinner table at the Last Supper and he says, do this in remembrance of me. In 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23 it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so one of the things that we believe as a church is we want to bring people into the finished work of the cross, into freedom. And so the question is, what is the finished work of the cross? The finished work of the cross is remembrance of Jesus and what he has done. Remembering that we were slaves to sin, that we were condemned to die, both spiritually and physically, a spiritual and physical death. We were condemned to this because of our sin. We needed a savior. So often we forget that we need a savior. But then Jesus. Jesus came and shed his blood for us. He was the firstborn that was sacrificed so that we might be saved. And when this happened, when Jesus was on the cross and he cried, it is finished. And the veil was torn in two. The presence of God was released so that we might have access to the Father. That we would have access to this relationship with God without a mediator, without someone to stand in the way, without having to go and present sacrifices. In that moment when Jesus died on the cross, we received forgiveness and we were made righteous in him. In that moment when Jesus died, And he rose again. He defeated death so that we might have life. We often read that scripture in John 10.10 where it says, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you might have life in abundance. But then it goes on to say that we need to submit to him as the good shepherd, as the leader of our lives. And so we come and remember what Jesus has done for us. And we proclaim that I needed a savior. I was dead in my sin. But Jesus came and he brought forgiveness and he brought salvation and he made us righteous with him. And so we're going to do communion at this point. Can I ask us all to stand? And in this moment, I've read that scripture from Corinthians where it says, take this bread, which is my body, and when you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. And we read the scripture, it says, when we take this cup, which represents my blood, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you do it, remember me. And so I've asked Lynette just to sing a song. But I want us to take this moment and be like, God, am I really honoring you in my life? Do I really fear you in a way that draws me into your presence? Not as a heavy, but just as a moment to reflect and say, God, what do I need to change? How can I position myself so that I can live a life that you have asked me to live? How can I position myself at the foot of the cross? How can I position myself at this table that you have prepared for us? So that I might know you intimately, that I might seek you first, that I might seek your righteousness first. Before I look to the things of this world, before I rely on my own ability to make money and wealth and pay my bills and do all these things, before these things, do I remember you first? And that's my prayer for you guys as we go into this festive season, which is all about Jesus, about his birth, about his celebration that he came to save us, and that a promise was fulfilled. As we go into the season, let us not forget. Let us not forget what he's done. Let us not forget what Jesus 
has done in our lives, in our hearts. From salvation and the death on the cross to testimonies of the way that he has provided for us, the way that he's looked after us. Let us not forget, as we heard last week, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb the word of their testimony. And so when we take communion, remember what Jesus did, did for us. It's only through his death and his resurrection and our acceptance of this by faith that we will overcome. So if you're trusting for healing, if you're trusting for breakthrough, if you're trusting for provision, if you're trusting for anything, find yourself at the foot of the cross. Not just when you feel like it, not only when you're desperate, but at all times. Find yourself at the foot of the cross. Don't just wait for Friday morning, every second Friday at the church where we do communion to do it. But do it at home. Do it in the coffee shop. When you meet with someone and you can see they're struggling, break bread. Remember what Christ has done for us in the totality of what he did on the cross where we, we were lost and broken, but he came. And through his blood, we have overcome. So as we sing, when you're ready, you can come and take communion. So Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for your goodness towards us, Lord. Even when we have fallen short and we've forgotten and we've been distracted by our own lives and comforts and the things that we're chasing, that you still draw us in, that you are still calling, that you are still with us, that the table is prepared at all times. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, as we go into the rest of our lives, would we not wait for the moments of desperation and seeking to find ourselves at the table, but may we find ourselves there every day, all day, as we keep our eyes on you and remember what you have done. Remember that you died on the cross for us, that you, your body was broken, that your blood was shed so that we might have salvation and might have an access to the Father in relationship through your righteousness that you have given us, that you've made us worthy, that we have overcome because of your blood and because of what you have done for us through your death and resurrection. Just bless you, Father, in Jesus' name.